welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every film from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and I hope that some of you out there listen to us the way that Visla listens to Draymond play the piano. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and God help anyone that has to listen to my family for a week. Uh, I would be truly impressed. And today we're breaking down the 2006 German film, The Lives of Others. So, The Lives of Others, released in 2006, written and directed by Florian Henkel von Donnersmark in his feature film debut. I mean, that's a long name. I didn't even look at how to pronounce it. I just saw this ridiculous name. I'll be honest, I actually thought it was two people. Um, but then when I was reading some more stuff about <laughs> it, I was like, oh, no, that's that's just one person's name. Uh, condolences, I guess. Well, let's just call him Florian. <laughs> I've already forgotten that, so... All right, well, this was his directorial debut. He did go into the American audience after this, Dean. He went and did The Tourist. Ooh, ouch. Should have stayed in Germany. Yes. Yeah, bit rough. No, I haven't heard from him again since. I mean, what an amazing uh, contrast in the the massive critical hype and, you know, nominations, especially in Germany, that this film received compared to The Tourist, where he was just openly I know. Just got slammed. He's like, ooh, I got 10 Razzie noms. This is good, yeah. And he's also suddenly <laughs> Swedish. <laughs> so the story of the lives of others is in 1984 East Berlin, an agent of the secret police conducting surveillance on a writer and his lover finds himself becoming increasingly absorbed by their lives. It stars Ulrich Muhe? 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 I reckon it's Muhe. It's got the U with the dots on the top. I think you're right the second time. What was that? <laughs> I can't even remember. I just took a punt. <laughs> yeah. He plays Stasi Captain Gerd Wiesler. We have another Ulrich here. This is Ulrich Tucker, who plays his superior, Anton Grubitz. Probably like John over there. But these names, yeah, they're just so common. Well, they're all Ulrich so far, except for Florence, of course. Well, the next one here, Sebastian Koch, who plays the playwright Jorg. Jorg? Jorg? Draymond. <laughs> Draymond. 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 Okay. <laughs> yes. And Martina Gedek, who plays Draymond's lover, the prominent actress named Krista Maria Seeland. Lover? Yes. I mean... Aren't they lovers? I mean, I think they're more than lovers. Are they officially lovers? I'm pretty sure they're official. They're living together. <laughs> She's not popping around for a one-night go every now and then, is she? Lover sounds more uh, passionate. Sounds more sensual. That's, that's right. Now, of these names, I do know Ulrich Muir. Muir. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Can't even pronounce it. Oh, I know his face. All right, he he starred in Funny Games. Funny Games. No, I've never seen Funny Games. He looks like he looks like he looks so familiar. I couldn't put my my finger on who he looks like. I'm I'm gonna go with the lead singer of REM. I would say or maybe he kind Moby? of looks like Mark Rylance. Ah, there it is. Thank you, Mark Rylance. Well, no, cool. that, that's much go. better. It, that is who I was thinking of. The other actor I know here is Sebastian Koch. He looked kind of familiar. Looked up his filmography. Dean, he played the bad guy in A Good Day to Die Hard. What number Die Hard is that? The shit one. The fifth Russian one. He plays the Russian guy who's supposed to be good, but then he's bad. Okay. So, that's, that's, Com- not, Komarov. that's not the one I like. No, that's not the that's one not, you like. No one likes that not, film. No one likes that film. It's not the second best Die Hard. Okay. All right. So, we have music here by Stefan Mucha. Mucha? Oh, man, I, I'm sorry. I'm butchering all these names today. I do apologize to everyone out there. And Gabriel Yared. Now, Gabriel Yared, he's got three Academy Award nominations for Cold Mountain, The English Patient, and The Talented Mr. Ripley. Is this an actor? This is a composer. Ah, composer. 
I see. Hey, do you know if we have any German listeners? I'm sure we do. Really? That confident? Well, I, I imagine there's at least some people in Germany who've listened to us. Really? <laughs> Why? Why are you so certain? <laughs> Dude, we've had people from like Chile listen to us. Chile. Shout out to all the Chile. Chileans. <laughs> all right, I'm going to say his name here again. Ulrich Muir. Muir? Muir? Just <laughs> say one and stick to it. No one cares. Muhe. Not we'll that. that. Don't go with Muhe. <laughs> Muhe. Muhe. <laughs> I don't know what that... Is that a long U? <laughs> to say Muhe. He actually lived in East Germany as a stage actor during the period depicted in this movie. And just like Draymond at the end, he once read his personal Stasi file and found out that some of his fellow actors had been involuntarily informants to spy on him. And when he asked how he prepared for his role as the Stasi officer, he simply said, I remembered. Okay. I mean, that's that's awesome. That's a good bit of trivia. But the I remembered bit, it's not like he used to be a Stasi officer. And then it's like, how did you prepare? Well, I just remembered how, how I was. Like, yeah, I don't know. Did he have much dealings with the Stasi? That's all I know. Stasi. This, this film is very light on the trivia, I must say. Not the, you know, catchiest name for the secret police. The Stasi. A little menacing, if you say it the right way. So, if anyone says it but you. Yeah, pretty much. So, all the listening and recording props in this film were actually Stasi equipment on loan from museums and collectors. The props master had spent two years in a Stasi prison and insisted upon absolute authenticity, down to the machine using to steam open up to 600 letters per hour. 600 per hour is very impressive. Well, looking at the uh, the, the rate that Wiesler uh, opens up the letters in this film, I wouldn't say it'd be 600 an hour. I think that's... What is that, 10 per minute? Yeah, it would be. 10 per minute. So f- Which is six. Five per 30 seconds or two and a half. It's one, per s- one every six seconds. Two and a half. You've got two going. You've got 12 <laughs> seconds. You've got 12 seconds to open two, all right? I guess. I think that- Okay, the- actually, that probably would have worked. Yeah, I guess the tough part would be keeping up the consistency. For so very long. Those are the only two big, big pieces of trivia there that were worth note. So let's go into released in Germany on the 15th of March in 2006 with a runtime of 137 minutes. With a tagline of "Nothing is private, nothing is sacred." Yeah, that's fine. Pretty standard for this film, I would say. Yeah, it's okay. That gets the job done. Budget of two million dollars, and worldwide grossed seventy-seven million dollars. Holy shit! This was successful. Yeah, very successful. I did see that uh, a lot of the actors took like a twenty percent or an eighty percent cut of their regular pay to get the budget so that low. Is true. So I wonder if they got that any of that uh, money back. Highly unlikely, I would think. Yeah, I would, I would say no, they did not. So this film set a record in 2006 for getting the most nominations for the German Film Awards ever. They got 11 nominations that year. Directorial debut as well. Very impressive. Exactly. This also did win one Academy Award, Dean. Obviously, it was for Best Foreign Language Film. It did beat out Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, very stiff competition there. Uh, stiff from Pan's Labyrinth. It's not a bad uh, foreign language film winner, though, Hendo. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. In fact, the Europe List, which is the largest survey on European culture established at the top three films in European culture overall are, number three was Jean-Pierre Genot's Amelie. Number two was this, The Lives of Others. Can you guess what number one is? Uh, just yes or no, is it Pan's Labyrinth? It is not Pan's Labyrinth. It is Roberto Benigni's Life is Beautiful. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Bit rough. Yep. All right, Dean, let's look at the scores. Critics or audience? Critics. Critics have it at 93% and the audience have it at 96. Woo. Go audience. Metacritic have it at 89. 
Letterboxd have it at a big 4.1, but let's take a look at the history of the lives of others in the IMDb Top 250 list. This debuted onto the list on the 25th of January in 2007 and quickly shot up to around the 50 mark. And that is essentially where it has stayed for the last 13 years. I think the lowest it hovered from that point was about 63, but it hasn't really moved at all. It is virtually a straight line to where it currently sits right now at number 59 with an 8.4 over 354,000 votes. Very impressive. So obviously people are still seeing it and rating it. Yeah, it's maintained it. It's not going anywhere. Done well. All right. Why don't we get into the lives of others? So we quickly learn uh, the year, 1984. We get to learn a little bit about the Stasi. <laughs> yeah, how, how, how much of this opening text did you write down? I wrote, Stasi, secret police, keeping everything under control. What the fuck is Glasnost? <laughs> what? Glasnost is nowhere in sight. I wrote that down. I have no idea what that means. I'm very lenient on the writing down of all, you know the big walls of text now. I'm like, half of this doesn't mean anything in the end. They say they keep the population under strict control, which is fine, but then they say 100,000 employees with another 200,000 informers. I wish they would tell us what the actual population was to give it some you know, perspective. You can't go and look up the population of Berlin in 1984? I shouldn't have to, Hendo. <laughs> right? It's giving me walls of text. Throw in. Population at the time was... It's not that hard. Anyway, what's their job here? To know everything. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of unachievable, isn't it? Well, they tried their very best. You know what I actually thought of when I saw that, uh, to know everything? I thought of Phoebe like that, now I've seen everything. <laughs> You've been watching a lot of Friends recently, haven't you? I swear to God, you? I haven't. I haven't. That, just, that really <laughs> stuck with me for some strange oh, reason. Right. Yeah, he just, she just wants to see everything. Yeah, and that's the, that's the gag that comes with it, yeah. But we get, uh, we have Vizsla here. Starting to interrogate a suspect. Yeah. And this, I mean, he's so, I'll, I'll just say now, I love this first scene. Uh, he's so calm. He's so, he's just unwavering. Like he does not mm-hmm. care at all about this person and the consequences of what's going to happen to this person. He doesn't even look up when this guy enters. I think it's great. And uh, it, like making him put his hands under his thighs, I thought, is that like a security thing? But it's all about getting the, the sweat from his hands to soak into yeah. this cloth for the dogs later. Like, where do they keep all these like beautiful glass jars with clock, cloth in them? That would take up a lot of room. Probably in another room. Oh, The cloth jar room. Warehouses full of it. Yes. I love the question he asked them, though. That, do you think we lock people up on a whim? And it's like, there's no right answer to that. Like, the logical answer is, if you're if you're telling the truth, you're insulting the person who's interrogating you. It really does immediately yep. put him in this tight situation. And then, then the guard is just like, because if you do, that alone is an arrestable offense. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what, how, do you, how do you get out of this situation? You just can't. You, you're completely screwed. No. You're fucked. No, but Vizsla here, you really set up that he is this strict, stern character. He goes by the book. He's really good at his job. And I love that they just they, they cut halfway through it to him teaching the class about this interrogation and how he does his job. Yeah, because you get that like that next level. It's almost like you're getting a commentary on what you're watching. Yeah. You know, and you get him saying it takes 40 hours. All you need is patience. You just need to be patient. Everyone breaks. Yep. And I love how he describes like how you can tell someone between being guilty and being innocent. 
how innocent people will just get angry and angry because they know they've they haven't done yep. the thing they're you know being accused of. Yep. Whereas the guilty, they just they just break down and they you know like he says he cries. I love how you got that that school kid who's talking to him like oh shouldn't you shouldn't be doing this should you like it's immoral and he just quickly walks over and gives a little cross next to his name like this guy is not not good for this. Yeah, <laughs> he will not make it. Yeah, I, I mean, I pers- I think it's more than just this guy won't make it. I think it's more we need to watch this guy. Yeah, sympathizer. But then we meet his boss who, what's his name, Grubitz? Grubitz. Grubitz. Uh, yeah, i, I got to be honest, I didn't like writing down Grubitz, so I've just called him friend the whole way through, which- Friend. Doesn't really- Oh, friend. Doesn't really pan out. It's not much of a thumbs up friend, is he? Uh, as I was writing down Grubitz, for a long time, I just thought it's uh, Grubitz. I'm like, wait, this is German, so it's, it's got the Grubitz. Yes. So they're like, who's this Grubitz guy? Because you do know your German pronunciation very well. It must be Muher. There you go. I got it. I think I got it after 100 tries there. Mm. We won't tell everyone how many times you said Wiesler in the intro <laughs> until I corrected you. <laughs> pretty sure that it's Wiesler. Sure Wiesler. Mind you, they, they haven't, have they said Wiesler yet? They haven't said his name. So I was going off IMDB. I had it, I had it as good for ages. Really? And then, I heard, and then yeah, once I said Wiesler, I'm like, oh, I'm changing it to that. There's no way I'm saying good. What kind of name is that? No, no. I I was the same. I was like, I called him guard for a while, and then I just looked it up because they weren't saying his name for yeah. ages. Yeah. No, but they're going to go take a trip to the theatre to see the latest play, and we get introduced to a couple of new people here. We've got Mi- Minister Hemph. Hemph, yes. You go. He's, he's a good character. I like Hemph. Uh, but no, I, I like that Visla obviously, very smart. Like, way more capable at his job than Grubitz. He just doesn't play the game like Grubitz does. And Grubitz goes down there. Oh, yeah, Grubitz is all over it. Like, Grubitz is political. Uh, or he's a politician where Visla is more just very thorough at the job. And he goes down and he's, he's like, oh, I think we should watch him. And Hemp is just like, ah, see, that is what separates you and me. Everyone else would say what Grubitz just said. Like, <laughs> nah, he's the best. Don't be silly. <gasps> I I loved it. I thought it was good. It's a really good contrast between Visler and Grubitz here, where because we say that he's you know very strict and for his job, but he's also very unsociable as well. Like every time he's with someone else, like where he could be having some sort of discussion, he's very silent and stiff and stern. Like he just he doesn't really have that side of him where he he's he has that sociable social capabilities. Yeah, his social skills are definitely lacking. Probably a, a you know a commentary on socialism. A lot of socialism in this film. I think it has a lot to do with you know maybe he maybe he suppresses that as well because of his job and how what he has to do. I mean, I think so. I think he's been trained for many many years to behave a certain way, and that's just second nature to him now, which we'll see yeah. later on. But I did like in this this play what the woman's saying. She says at one point she's cursed by these visions that she's having of. You know, she's knowing what's happened to this this guy, Arthur. I did think, you know, it was a bit of foreshadowing here for the curse of knowledge that Visla is going to have later on. Oh, very good. Very good pickup, my friend. All right, what have we got here? The after party here. We got a little dance sesh between uh, Krista and Georg. Jorg? Yeah, I'm, I'm calling the writer Draymon. They do their dancing and it's, it's fine. I mean, it's not exactly... You know, it doesn't exactly blow me away, but it's fine. Uh, have- I mean, there's a little bit of sensualism to it. It's fine. Hemp is just the creepiest motherfucker, though. Like, he is... Yeah. It's like, mate, 
In fact, I guess. And I mean, you could you could kind of tell that's the way he's going to be. He's so powerful. There are no consequences for what he does. You know, even even at the end, there's no consequences for his, for his behavior. No, like no, like yeah. After after the wall comes down and everything's changed, like he's not in prison or anything for anything he did. He's just he's just there still. Yeah, but this bit where he like uh, grabs. Uh, Krista's bum or whatever whatever he does maybe just touches her back but when she walks away um, have they already like yes they've already started a a, a fling haven't they I wasn't sure because I didn't I, I, I have seen this before but I couldn't remember much of this at all uh, I don't know I could see it both ways honestly I could see it like he's he's now putting the moves on her she semi rejects it but then he starts coming back saying, you know, like he, he puts the power on, like I am, you know, pretty big, pretty big powerful person here. So she has to reluctantly move ahead with it. Yeah. In order for her to continue, in order for her to continue doing what she's doing with act, with acting. Yeah. Because you could argue that he's just sitting in the audience. She's the star of the play and he's like, I want some of that. He sees, he knows that she and Draymond are together and then starts the ball rolling of, we need to watch Draymond. But yeah, yeah, exactly. But like we see... We'll see later that she gets out of his car and stuff, but we don't actually see their dynamic together until later on when it's obvious that she's not enjoying yeah. this. I feel like it's just pressure and fear of being blacklisted because obviously with this conversation he has with Draymond here talking about the, the director they have at the moment, how he's just not he's not suitable for the the play itself. And they keep mentioning uh, Jerska, yeah, his Jer- previous director Jerska. who's been, yeah, been blacklisted oh, for many oh, years don't now. Don't say that, Hendo. Don't say blacklisted. You'll get blacklisted. Oh. Cancelled last episode of the show. Sorry, guys. Uh, poor blacklisted Jerska. But actually, one last thing that Hemp does say here to Grubitz is that people don't change, which I think is pretty telling because we are going to see Visla change. Uh, like Probably one of the biggest changes ever. Yeah, 180. He will 180 the shit yeah. out of this movie. So it is, yes, it is good seeing that Hemp's like, ah, people don't change. Well, we'll see, Hemp. We'll see. But if we didn't know that uh, Visla was you know, not very sociable, living a lonely life... Here it is right here. Goes home, you know, to a lonely house by himself, just going through his routine, sitting down, getting ready for the next day, I guess. Yeah, it really does show the contrast of his life versus Draymond and the, you know, the envy that he will feel here. Maybe envy, envy, envy might, envy might imply negative feelings. Um, the admiration, I guess, he has for his life compared to his own. Yeah, the contrast of someone who lives their life you know, by the government or by the strict rules as opposed to the people there, you know, they're interrogating or they're looking for these artistic expressionist people who go out and look like they're enjoying life, you know, even though they're under the scrutiny of the government. Yeah, but I think I think a big part is that he, he has someone, you know, he's he's in love and he's happy. Yeah. And, you know, Visla, as anti-social as he is, at the end of the day, he still has no one. Exactly. So what do they do? They go, we got a... Uh, Visla here looking at Draymond's house, writing down the movements of what they're doing, getting ready to buggy his entire house. Yeah, so him and the team go in, they wiretap it. It was really good the way they were feeding the wires and yep. you could see the, the wires going through the paint in the wall. That was good. Very interesting uh, key picking machine they had there. Just basically put it in the hole and boom, doors open. Like That's 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 a good little piece there. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. That no, was good. I was wondering if the line down the wall they make when they jam the wire down there, if that was ever going to come back, like if he was going to actually notice that, never does. No, definitely not. There's an interesting scene though when he walks out and you see the woman watching from across the hall. Uh, 
Yeah. I gotta be honest, I thought they were gonna take her. I did not expect them to actually leave her. But I guess it goes to show the fear and influence they have of just a threat, you know? And even the threat I thought yeah. was was quite soft as well. Like, oh, this person you know will take him out of university. Like uh, Probably her daughter. Yeah, I mean, okay, even if it is her daughter, like I'm sort of expecting if you say anything, you will be taken away and you won't return. I mean, they can't exactly take her away there because it's going to be even more sus if Draymond comes home and his neighbours just disappeared. I mean, I guess. Wouldn't wouldn't be that sus. They had a double shot here of her looking through the peephole, I guess, of her door. The first time it happened, I had no idea what that was. I'm like, that's an interesting shot, this little like this little circle where they're walking past. I wonder if that's ever kind of going to come back. That was my first note. Like, I wonder if this is going to come and play back later. Like, 10 seconds later, there it is. I'm like, okay, I don't need to have that anymore. No. And I love I love the power they have. Like he already knows her name, his daughter, her daughter's name. They just know everything that's going on. They are in full control of everything. Yeah, very prepared, Visla. Yes, we got Draymond here. We finally get to meet Jerska. Yeah, he's not the. Is it Jerska? Jerska? Oh, probably Jerska. Let's go Jerska. Yeah. Uh, he, sure. He's not the cheeriest of blokes, Jerska, is he? Well, after being blacklisted for so long, you know, you're probably going to get down in the dumps. He wants to direct, and that's the one thing he can't do. He's a projectionist without film. A director who can't direct. Nothing. Yes. But Draymond, <laughs> off the back of his super intimidating conversation with Grubitz at the after party, says, oh, I spoke to someone, you know, there's still hope for you. I was like, what conversation what? were you having? Like, you're not an idiot. You're an intelligent man. There's no way you took away from that conversation. Hey, there's a chance. So, we're up to the first time Visla listens in to the conversations. I think this is a nice start to this. It's, it's something light, mild. He's just learning to tie a tie. Like, he's telling, he's telling Krista, you know, yeah, I can tie a tie. Like, I, I can do that. And it's just a little playful thing where he gets his neighbor across to do it secretly while, you know, she's in the next room. But you, you see the look on her face. Like, she knows what's going on here. She can't say anything. She's super depressed. And, that, and when he says to her, like, oh, you can keep a secret, right? It's like, oh, no. Kind of on the nose a bit, isn't it? Ah, oh, I thought it was fine. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a little, little bit of a cringy line, to be honest. Poor Krista, though. She's popping some pills. There's a little bit of a character development there and a little bit of an, an insinuation for later on. Yeah, I didn't even pick up on this. Uh, maybe I just... I mean, someone taking pills for me wasn't like, oh, alarm bells. She's on, you know, bad meds. I was just like, oh, she's having some vitamins, maybe. Maybe she's got the hay fever. I know I do. Chuck a... Really? Throw a Zyrtec back. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Really? What, is there some big stigma? I don't believe Stigma you. with pills? Like, seriously? When you're watching a film where she, you know, she's high, like she's by herself and she's sneakily popping some pills. Well, was, you don't think it, you think it's a fucking Zyrtec? How is it sneaky? You could be in a bathroom was, alone. It's herself. not like she's like, you know, doing the whole waving do, her head around, oh, making sure no one's watching. Better pop these pills. Do you think they're going to focus a, a key scene here where she's by herself having a Panadol or having a hay fever tablet? Of course it is a pill that she shouldn't probably be taking. Adds a grounded, realistic feel to it. I say kudos for showing the hay fever pill taking. <laughs> oh, how wrong you were. Anyway, it's party time here. It is. We have Yoska, Mr. Sour Pants, just sitting on the couch alone. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be like that, maybe don't go to a party. Just get up and have a dance, all right, would you, mate? I'm not sure I wanted to see him dance, but you can stand up and talk to people. Who brings a book to a party? A book, Hendo. In intellects. <laughs> Um, if they're doing a book party, maybe? Go to a lot of book parties, do you, Hendo? Never. Never. 
Maybe he's going to do a dramatic reading. Maybe. Who's this Paul guy? This guy's a bit of a flog. I mean, you talk about, he's really rude. You talk about Yerska being a bit of a sourpuss. He's, he's Paul. Calm down, mate. Yeah, time and place. Maybe don't, you know, you know, like embarrass your friend whose birthday it is, mind you, uh, saying he's, he's in bed with the Stasi or whatever he says. Like, not called for. Hey, do you reckon this guy looks a lot older than 40, by the way? Oh, he's mate Paul. No, no, Draymond. It's Draymond's 40th. Mm, no. I don't know. Maybe I'm just feeling old. I'm sort of, I'm about to turn 33. I'm just thinking, gee, 40s. It's oh, only, a, poor thing. only a few years away now. <laughs> I was like, I don't look that old, do I? <laughs> it, is in, it is weird seeing him go from this. And the last, next thing I saw him in was the Die Hard film. I think that was actually 2013. So that is seven years later. And he's got a, I'm pretty sure he's got like a gray beard there. So yeah, okay. He probably is much older than 40, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I don't care enough to look it up. No. Nothing will ever get me to watch Die Hard 5 again. Mm. But it's here where Yerska actually gives Draymond the Sonata for a good man. Is it for a good man? Of a good man? I think it's of. Sonata of a good man. Sonata for a good man. Yeah, I wrote for. I don't know why I convinced myself just then it was of. Because it plays with the book at the end. Because that's what he names the book. Yeah. No, I know that. Uh, you you look up in the air like you were trying to con- like trying to think of what it meant. Proved otherwise. No, I've got my notes actually above me, so I was just what? referring to them. But we cut to, and we actually we hard cut to Visla um, at his little typewriter here. You know, because you've got you've got Krista and Draymond getting intimate here, and it's it hard cuts to him typing. Presumably, they have intercourse. It's like, well, what else could you? What else would it be that you're hearing? I mean, it doesn't have to be intercourse, Endo. There are other... Presumably having having an aggressive game of Twister. Okay. <laughs> no, but it shift swap time here. This guy's all right. Good for a bit of a bit of a, a minor laugh here. Kind of lighten the mood. Oh, the worker at the table. Yes. Yes. So we've got Visla and Glubitz uh, sitting at the table. Glubitz, is Glubitz. it? Glubitz <laughs> sitting at the table. And this this Glubitz, he's, he's a bit of a bit of a dick here. Because this, this, you know, this lower-ranked worker comes in, starts telling a joke about their commander or whoever the fuck they're talking about, Honey Badger, whatever his name is, um, and he obviously realises who's there now and stops and doesn't want to do it. And Grubitz makes him do it and then says, just, like, laughs and then immediately hits with name, rank, department. And he got me. i got to say, he got me. He fully got me here. Yep, got me too. But, you know, cracks a big smile on the joke, like, yeah, hey, just mucking around too. I love that Visla is not happy in hearing the original joke and then much more pleased when Grubitz is actually going to do his job and behave the way he should behave and then even more disappointed when he's, nah, I'm just kidding, and then tells a joke himself. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Again, that also shows that, you know, that non-socialist side of Visla at this point where he just, he doesn't even say a word at this point. Mm. He doesn't speak to anyone. Mm. But we also find out here that, that Hemp has got Krista on the side here as well. And uh, Visla has been told to keep that out of the report. We don't need that in there. So you can already see that things that, like facts are being, you know, taken out of these reports. So he's starting to question like, well, you know, if we're supposed to be, you know, listening in and putting down everything we hear and everyone just taking half the shit out, like for our benefit, then, you know, what's the, what's the point? I think- Why don't we just write down what we want? I think it was more the point of they know that they weren't, monitoring Draymond now because they think he's up to no good. They're monitoring him because they want him to be up to no good so that Hemp can move in full-time on Krista. Like, this is just some petty, 
you know, sexual romantic thing that Hemp is trying to gain yeah. here. It's actually not about, you know, socialism and the party and what they should be doing. So I think this actually takes like gives takes a huge hit to Visla. We mentioned the guy who cracked the joke and you know the lower subordinate person. Did you notice that he was the guy at the end? Yeah, I did actually. Sitting behind him in yeah. the letter opening bit. Yeah, yeah. So it turns out that joker was pretty bad for him. Hmm. I could totally see Grubitz like having that joke, laughing, and then still demoting him. <laughs> but this is the first time that we see Visla really going against his you know parties or at least his superior's best interests here where he starts ringing the doorbell repeatedly so Draymond goes downstairs and sees Krista getting out of Hemp's car. Very clever. Yeah, that works really well. Like you get we get that shot like obviously of Hemp and Krista in the car before and she's clearly reluctant to to do anything here but has to do it just because you know he has the power and he's explained to her like you know this is what's going on. She has to do it. It's unfortunate but yeah, the way he the way Visla hotwires that uh that doorbell to ring and he goes down and sees it and he's you know he's devastated obviously clearly he didn't want to see that it really starts to put a sting on their relationship but the way it all builds up here with this scene is my excellent and the way how they embrace in bed they comfort each other over what's happened like he understands what's going on here the shot the shot, I love the shot of him hiding behind the door as she walks past just that devastation in his face and the way they embrace each other on the bed here as he you know, comforts her over the, the sorrow that she's had to go through. And you start to see Visla slightly understand what's going on here. And he starts to really get involved in their relationship here and feel for them too. I, obviously, this is the big key turning point here for these two and for him. And I thought this was a great start for it. Wow. I'm surprised. I've got to be honest. Uh, yeah. I mean, one thing in this scene, the way she reacts when she's come home is obviously very out of the ordinary. Now, she doesn't know that he's just yeah. seen this. So, this is why maybe I'm sort of inclined to think, was this the first time? Or at least early. Like, she doesn't know that he's seen it. She gets in, she cries, she lays in bed and says, just hold me. Like, this isn't usual yeah. behavior for her. So, I think maybe it was at least taken to another level that they haven't previously been at before. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Now, it looks like Visla wants a little bit of love and a little bit of uh, romantic tenderness. Yeah, I mean, we, Someone get, to hold him. we get another pretty st- obvious contrast here where we've got that, that intimacy and love, you know, in these tough times between Draymond and Krista. And then we just see the cold, loveless, you know, sex he has with his prostitute, who's, who's like, yeah, I'm... Nah, I had, it's, he's like, how'd you get in? Oh, there's a few guys here, you know, I know, I know. And even yeah. even at the end where he's just like, you're not going to make your next appointment. She's like, don't worry, I will. I think the implication is pretty obvious. She's staying in the building right now. <laughs> yes, yeah. So apparently the director actually interviewed a number of real life prostitutes for this role, but they eventually went with a, uh, uh, what was it? Body body artist, like body painting painting artist. Yes. So, Vishla, he decides to go into the apartment himself and uh, take his little brick book. Very unprofessional. Yes. I love it there, though, how when Draymond's like, have you, have you seen my book? And then snap cuts to Vishla just laying on the on the couch, yeah. just reading it reading it to himself. Yeah. Like you slow bastard. Yeah. You know, I've got to say, I was, I was even more surprised that your excellent was earlier because I had about four, quote unquote, possible excellence, and that wasn't one. Oh, I did. Oh, I didn't know. I that was my possible excellent, and then I had a couple more along the way here. And just going back over it, I thought that was, you know, a very tender moment. I think the score in that scene played really well as well. Like, there's one coming up 
Ne- right now. There's one right now yeah. that was a possible excellent yeah. for me. After Yerska... Uh, I, thought, I thought it could have been, your, I thought nah, it could have been after yours. After Yerska hangs himself, uh, Draymond is... By the way, great performances in this film. Draymond is devastated. Yes. And he plays the Sonata of a good man. For a good man. See, I've written of here. Sonata for a good man. <laughs> and... What what makes it even better though is not his reactions is Visla listening by himself. Oh, in where this he's room. like where he's like crumpled over in the chair, like basically like hugging, hugging it. Yeah, he's almost brought to tears. The camera is just slowly panning around Visla here. It's it's really really powerful. It is. You know, Sebastian Koch actually learnt how to play that. Practice for four hours a day for six weeks. Yeah, good on him. Yeah. Mm. Interesting line he says here though, where they discuss the sonata for a good man and how. He wanted to be. He wanted to play it so that Stalin would stop doing what he was doing just to hear that song. And they start talking about you know anyone who would do that couldn't be a bad person, could they? And they're basically saying that Stalin couldn't be a bad person. I'm like, mm, I don't think anyone else would agree with that. Mm, probably they're not. Just showing the power of this music. Yeah, yeah. This next scene though, I love it too with this boy oh, in the with elevator. The kid in the lift? Yeah, it's yes, really really this good. This is fantastic because you know like the kid's just like, hey, are you really Stasi? And and Vizsla's just like, do you even know what that means? Like, you got no idea. And he's like, ah, my dad says you're the bad man. And he's just, he's, he's just, he's so close. It's that automatic trained reaction of, mm-hmm. uh, what, what? How does he start? He says, what's the, oh, he goes, and what's the name of your? And he pauses. It. It's like it's just he doesn't even think about. It. He's like, okay, I've heard this. I need to, I need to follow up. And then he looks at this innocent yeah. little kid, and he's like, what's the name of your ball? And the kid mocks him, like, what a stupid question. <laughs> Who names their ball? And he walks out. But you know, little little does this kid know. That is how close his father has come to being taken away. Yeah, this yeah, this is another big shifting point for Visla here too. I think this is, I think this is probably the biggest one. Mm. So we see that Draymond obviously knows that Krista is is going out to go see Hemp, and they have a good discussion here as well about how she doesn't need to you know go and do this. She's a fantastic artist. Don't need to subject herself to you know these tyrants, these political figures who control everything. And I love it that she throws it back at him like you're in bed with these guys too. Like, why do you need to do this? And then they start going on about, you know, why do these people get to decide who gets to do what? It's it's all coming up to Visla at the top as well, above them, listening to this. Like, getting the points that they're saying to each other, like, you know, that's that's true. That is true. Like, why why do we have to put a stranglehold on these people who, who are trying to express themselves? Yeah, another fantastic scene. Another possible excellent. The the As you said, the way <laughs> she turns it around is great because Draymond's argument at first is, like, so powerful, like... Have you don't have faith in you? Have faith in me, and I know you're talented. I know you don't need to do this. Blah blah blah. And you're right. You're right. The way she just flips it and says, "You are doing what I'm doing, just yep. in a different way. We don't have a choice." It was really powerful. Let me get this really strange scene, <laughs> where Visla goes to the pubies, and even this, like we, you want to talk about people changing and people not being able to change. He walks in the pub, give me a soda water, not nah, make it a vodka double. Like it's just that instant. Yeah. No, I'm not going to do what I was doing. I'm going to do something that you know is outside of my comfort level. And she walks into the bar, and he feels that urge, and he goes up and basically tells her without telling her. But basically drops the hint that, you know, maybe you shouldn't go do what you're doing. Go back to what you were, go back to your man, basically. Yeah, but uh, uh, this conversation here, I think, was so nuanced. Like, he's he's pretending he's just a fan and then he drops the I'm your audience and she has no idea 
how how much that what he what he's saying is true. Like he's not the audience to her characters on a stage. He is the audience to her real life. It's 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 pretty yeah. great. And when she lies and says I'm meeting a classmate, he's like, nah, you weren't being yourself then. You know, that's 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 a lie. Yeah. But then she says he's a good man. Like not we're just talking because about it looks this- like that, but because he knows as well. Yeah, and we're talking about this sonata for a good man, and she calls him out directly for being a good man. And he's just sitting there. He feels so guilty. Yeah. Because he, he, at this point, for probably the first time ever, <laughs> is thinking, I'm not a good man. Like, what I'm doing is maybe not the best thing for everyone. Yeah. And I love how the discussion of, uh, you know, for your audience comes back later on when he goes to interrogate her. Yeah. Like, he's just dropping those subtle little hints to her. Those not so subtle hints, I guess you could say. No, but she listens to him because she goes back and they have heavy embrace. Mm. And the joy on Visla's face the next morning when he goes and looks at the report from the other guy. And sees that she came back and they, you know, they lovingly, presumably, had intercourse. You would presume that. (laughs) But cutting away from that mood, we now are hit with the funeral of Yerska. And I was, it took me a while to work out, firstly, who was talking and what the context of this was. I thought it was a eulogy, but it's not. It's Draymond's private Mm. writings on suicide, which is going to form the basis of basically the the plot of the rest of the film here this suicide yeah, this, is like the, this is like the second the second half of the film here yeah this starting pu- right now yeah this published suicide um yeah piece that he's written so yeah so he goes to see his mate paul and obviously he's he's super sus on his house thinks the whole thing's bugged which it probably is because every place like that was bugged for all these people yeah so he flips the music on and you know, let's go meet outside yeah and this test they do of the house oh man this was so good it was good very obvious but good. <laughs> I just love the whole irony of it that Visla, what he what he did wasn't because of the test. He did it to help him out. Yeah, because he because believed of that. It. Yeah, and because of that, he gets found out that it was a trap. Yeah. All because he has a soft spot for him now. It's it's fantastic. I love I love that whole ironic sense there. Yep. But they they do try to hide it from Krista for a while until she does eventually walk in and see him hiding the typewriter under the floorboards there. Ah, the typewriter. Which will play a big part. I like how traceable these typewriters are in Germany right now. Like everyone has their own their own exact typewriter. Especially with this typewriter expert later on, like, no, no, Paul has a, a such and such version six. This is the one, this is the only one he ever uses. Mm. So Visley goes to take a whole bunch of information just to Grubitz. Is he gonna present this to him? Because it seems like he changes his mind when Grubert starts talking about what he's going to do to Draymond if they ever get information on him. Yeah, I'm not sure what the information was because it's not like he's going to take incriminating information. Well, he's, he, his information that he's typing up is describing the quote-unquote play that he's doing. But the way the way that Draymond is talking, like mocking mocking the Stasi and mocking the whole government for, you know, oh, we got one over on, got one over on them. From you know the trap that we tried to pull, let's you know I can't wait to hear I can't wait for them to hear what we have to say, and even he mutters to himself like yeah let, let's see what you think about this like he it's almost like he he goes back on it a bit yeah no that that I mean he definitely changes his mind when he's in the office yes it is super sus that he requests to do the surveillance alone by himself now like say what you want about Grubitz and his you know political side he he's a bit switched on he knows what's going on yeah he's not as incompetent as he was set up to be in that first scene with Visla yes. So we get a little montage here, I guess, of Draymond ma- doing this article slash reading the play as uh, as Visa has been recording, hiding the typewriter into the floor. Nice symbolism here, where he cuts himself on the wood and you know gets a bit of blood from himself on the page, like it's his own, 
It's his own blood on this page. He's pouring himself into this. Blood, sweat, and tears into the page, into his writing, into his article, Dean. Come on. Uh, I guess. Wasn't the best symbolism I've seen, no. I mean, I thought it was very effective. I would go so far as to say not noteworthy, Hendo. Well, I disagree because I wrote it down. And I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And you wrote down a whole wall of text. (laughs) Yeah. Ah, well, you never know at the start what's going to be relevant or not. (laughs) That's what I'm telling you, man. We 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 need to watch these movies twice. How was I meant to know that glasnost wouldn't be an important word that I needed to know? (laughs) (laughs) No, but this is where Krista does see him hide the typewriter. That will obviously come into full effect later on. But at this moment, she's she's cool with it. She doesn't want. She actually doesn't want to know. It's better for her not to know what he's doing, so she can't, you know, implicate him. Hmm. But she does eventually get taken away. Yeah, all because of jealous hemp. Yeah, they've got the the info on the dodgy uh, hay fever tablet she's been taken, so that's enough for them to pull her in. (laughs) And what I love here is the interrogation scene, which is a mirror, obviously, of the first scene with Visla and prisoner, I'm going to say 227, is that we have, you know, it's like the same room, except Gruber's doing it, and this woman, she's just like, oh, maybe we can come to some sort of an an arrangement, you know, sexually, wink, wink. I love that his response is not like, ha, you cannot tempt me. It's, listen, like normally that'd be cool, but we can't because of who (laughs) you are and that, you you know, hemp likes you. It was great. I was just like, okay, so these people, they they talk a big game, but really they're they're just human. They have their own wants, you know. Yeah, exactly. The party does not always come first. I mean, it definitely sounds like she rats dreaming out here. Yes, definitely. Because, oh, how weird, How before we get to that, how weird is it when she ends this scene, like, laugh crying? Yeah, like, I wasn't sure, is she going to say it? And then when you find out that the Stasi, like, go to the house to look, but you never see her say it. So I'm like, uh, like are they going to make it look like she said it and it turns out it wasn't her? Like, are they just going to go fake raid the house and, and say that she did that so they could they could create some sort of rift between the two of them? I don't know. Like, they do, they do their raid. They, they bust in and... Visla has a bit of a freak out. Yeah, he certainly does. But this 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 scene here was pretty good. Like when they're slashing his cushions, like this is irreparable damage to yeah. his stuff. And then when the guy leaves, he says, "In the unlikely event there was any damage, you can claim compensation here." <laughs> He's like, "Nah, I'm sure everything's in order." Like as if, yeah, I want to yeah. complain about Dray- the, no, the Draymond's stars playing he coming the game. in. <laughs> Draymond's playing the game. He doesn't want to upset any more people. Like, what is he going to go do? Like try and get reprim get retribution for you know half the stuff he's got yeah no he just wants to, he wants them to go he doesn't want to deal with them no so they he gets visla to come down to the place where they're at the the officers i guess and because Grub- grubitz knows what he's doing uh, he he has an inkling he's had an inkling from the time he he asked to be there by himself so he's going to be the one to interrogate krista here and it's so weird how he has his back towards her and he slowly turns around like he's you know a fucking bond villain in a chair and Grubitz is even looking at him like, what are you doing? Like, he, yeah. he knows there's something sus going on here. Yeah, this scene's great. So much so that it's my... Excellent! Very good. It's just this dynamic here between the uh, Visla and Krista and Gruber and each one not knowing everything, you know? Like, you don't yeah. know if Krista is going to immediately recognise Visla and what her reaction yeah. is going to be. And hey, I, you're the guy in the bar who told me to go back inside the house. Yeah, like that's like, that, shit. that moment where he's not facing her and he suddenly turns around. I was like, oh my god! Like I was tense. I was really tense. Yeah. And even even now, like you talk about how you know Visla said earlier that he was her audience. Like now 
He is actually, this Stasi policeman is actually the artist right in this moment. He is a performer here. He is on stage right now with this other actress and they are doing this performance for the person watching from afar in Gruber or Grubitz. It's it's such a great dynamic here. Um, but even like seeing her, seeing her like start to speak, you can see how sad he is, how disappointed he is. Because even though he's, you know, doing his interrogating, his, you know, like this place is full of, you know, he, uh, what was it, pointless heroes or whatever he says. Yeah. He does not want her to break here, and she does, and it's it's this this just crazy dynamic where he's putting the hard word on her, but he wants her to to be strong and fight it, but she can't. It's, it's it was so great. No, very very good. Yeah, but like you said, she does reveal where the typewriter is in the floor, so they basically set her up as an informant to head on in there before the Stasi rock up. Pretty sus that uh, Visla has already left the building. Yeah, he's gone. And I'll be honest, I did not remember that he had gone in and taken it away. Did you know this? So the only thing I remember at this point was that someone got hit by a truck and I could not remember who it was. I didn't. Know, I couldn't remember if it was Draymond or if it was Krista. That's all I remember from, from this portion of the film. Yeah, I remembered pretty much nothing from this film. Yeah. Except that he would listen and he would change his views on him. So it was it was all so exciting for me. But seeing them search the place, <laughs> seeing this smug Rubitz, like, ha, what's this floorboard here? And uh, can I just quickly point out I love the I love the the reverse shot here. Now you have Visla hiding behind the door when Draymond walks in, the exact same shot that you had with Draymond as Krista walked in earlier. Mm. Like he's trying to hide from him, but he's like he's he's devastated at what's going on here. And you, I love how you quickly see in the background you see Visla walking like behind the window when uh, I believe it's Draymond and Paul are out the front. And then you see, as he disappears, you quickly see, you just see the typewriter in his hand as he walks out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I did not see that at all. That's awesome. Oh, so you were expecting the typewriter to be in there? 110%. Wow, okay. The reveal that's, that's that cool there was that no typewriter was amazing. Jeez, all right. You're, you're, sort of, you're sort of lucky you didn't see him holding the typewriter then. I'll be honest. Even when the reveal hits, I still didn't click that Visla had come back because I just figured Draymond wow. was home the whole time. I was like, how? well, it, Draymond must have so moved it. How did you it. do that? Draymond must have moved <laughs> yeah. it. Wow, that's awesome. And then uh, it, what made it even better is after Krista runs out, gets hit by the truck, and you've got Visla actually talking to her, he's like, oh, you didn't have to do that. I moved it. That's when I learned that he moved it. It was amazing. <laughs> Jeez, okay. Yeah, it was really good. I love the I love the the facial reactions you get from Krista and Draymond at right at that point when she's she's got out of the shower and she's staring at him like she's so apologetic for what she's done. He knows what she's done, she knows what she's done. And the look of it's like look of disappointment, but it's sympathy. It's it's all it's this whole bundle like he's trying to forgive her, but he can't at that time. It's it's super emotional. And the fact that it plays out perfect where it looks like that she is actually the one who not so much took the typewriter, but she has fooled the Stasi to think that it was Draymond the whole time who had done this. Hence why she walks out and either hit, gets hit by the truck or commits suicide. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously a suicide. Yes. But even Grubitz here who, you know, he, he stands at the body. He stands at Draymond and says, ah, we must have received an erroneous tip off. Sorry. And leaves and he gets Visla to go with him. And I was just yeah. like, okay, so what's Grubitz going to do here? And he's just like, your career's over. Like, you're obviously, you're too smart to leave traces, but we know. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's smart, but he's not that smart. And what I love here is he's getting accused here pretty blatantly of, you know, altering evidence. 
And you notice how this reflects the the lesson in the first scene. Is he getting angry here? Is he getting defensive? He's being accused of something he hasn't done as an innocent man. He's sad. Man. No. He's he, upset. He gets quieter. He stays very calm because he knows he's done. He's caught. But that's also his personality as well. Have you ever seen this guy get angry and mad? I mean, not angry and mad, but he gets upset. I've seen, you know, he was emotional many times throughout this film. There's, he's just, he's just sad. Quiet. Emotional though. No, nah. a guilty person. I thought it was a good reflection on that opening scene, Hendo. No, no, I agree. I completely agree. But I don't know. I, I don't. Ex- I wouldn't have expected him to get angry and lash out, even if he was innocent. Mm. But yeah, he said his career's done, and sure enough, four years and seven months later. There he is, steaming open some letters. What a riveting job. Do like a Principal Skinner there. You can make a game out of it. See how many you could... Uh, I, I saw how many I could try and open and then tried to break that record. <laughs> but no, the wall comes down. How much do you know about the wall and how much of an impact that was when it all came down? Literally, I learned more watching this film than I already knew. The only thing I know is I think it was President Reagan who s- said to tear down that wall. That's, that's the only thing I know about the wall. Okay. Clearly, us Australians, not good at the history. I mean, maybe that's an unfair statement, Hendo. I mean, you aren't good at it. That's what I just said. Clearly, us Australians. Yeah, but you're saying like us Australians as like generalising all Australians. No, I was talking about us. The implication was there. It wasn't at all. Anyway. So, we, the wall's down. Yeah, two years later, once again. Yeah. Lots of time jumps at the end of this film. There is, and we see the play again. And this this little dynamic between Hemp and Draymond out the front, that was good. And when Draymond's just like, why wasn't I ever under surveillance? Like, this doesn't make sense to me. He's like, you were. Yeah. We knew everything. I was just like, oh, is Draymond going to say something he shouldn't hear? <laughs> <laughs> well, in the end, like it's not a, it's not the regime that is ta- you know is taking control of the the whole country here. Like he, the whole like the walls come down. Like he he could have said something to him. That he wanted, he did, he does say something to him. He said he's glad that people like you don't run the country anymore. Hmm. But you know, it wouldn't have had that as much of an effect anymore. But you know, he goes home and checks checks it out. There they are, all the wires in his room, in his walls, everywhere. And I love how you have all the old transcripts here ready to go. Like he goes in and requests to get them, and boom, in comes an entire you know, uh, dr- like a trolley desk, loads, basically yeah. of all these. Yep. Yeah, all of them. Even the, starts going through them all. Even the tracking down of that that agent code that Visla was using is just like, yeah, it's right here. Here's his picture. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love how you see the bits and pieces throughout the film and his sudden realization that what exactly has been happening and how this person has been reporting it. And when you see, you know, this HG HGW, you know, XX7, and he goes and searches him out, and there he is, just this disheveled bloke just delivering what junk mail around town to everyone. Don't know. Oh, this is his life now. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, he gets out of the car, he gets back in the car. I guess at this point, he doesn't want to embarrass a guy. Uh, probably yeah. no words of thank you would would do it. Like, you know, they're not friends. Like, yes, he saved his life in in, in theory. But, yeah, it's a, it's a tough conversation that he obviously cannot have. But it's a perfect opportunity because, as we heard from Hemp before, that he hasn't, Draymond hasn't written anything since the wall came down. And so, isn't this the perfect thing to start writing about, to get his pen back going? And sure enough, two years later, Wiesler walking past the bookstore and he sees Draymond's big old mug on the on the window there. So, he decides to go and have a look and there it is, the Sonata for a Good Man. Opens it up and dedicated to HGW XX7 in gratitude. And that'd be awesome. Like That'd be such a touching moment for him. And I'll, the, the last line of this film is perfect. When he asks him, you know, shall I gift wrap it? He goes, no, it's for me. Freeze frame. 
Freeze frame was odd. I got to admit, it felt yeah, weird. I thought it was perfect. It the felt way he, weird. No, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. Okay. Perfect line to finish off the film. Any last words? I'll go first. So I saw this film. I believe it was during the time when I, you know, powered through the rest of the, the top two fifty films that I hadn't seen. At the time, I gave it four and a half stars, saying it was one of the best non-English films I'd ever seen. So coming back to it this second time for a full breakdown and the discussion with you today, I'm still in that mindset. I thought this film was absolutely fantastic. The performances from the from everyone involved here is stunning. The emotionality of this film really hit hard. The way the whole situation plays out where you have this 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 character arc. This is the, this is a perfect character arc in this Visla who goes from this super strict guy who's just all about the rules and following the protocol to starting to have a heart and realizing like the expressions that people can have and not to you know be dictated by fascist governments. I think it, it is fantastic. The characters of Draymond and Krista work very, very well as these artistic expressionists and how they try to separate themselves from the norm and the government and how they go about that way is wonderful. I think the score is quite powerful as well, especially during those emotional scenes. The stuff I didn't remember, which was a lot, uh, really threw me through a loop. The ending is fantastic. The way everything gets set up at the, I guess, the the penultimate act as well works wonders. I really, really, really enjoyed this film. It still gets four and a half stars for me. Very nice. Yeah, for me, I had this film uh, listed at four stars on Letterboxd. It's a very, very good film. I don't know. There's something with me watching foreign films. I always just believe the acting so much more. I don't know if it's because they're speaking another language and I, I, I don't pick up on any you know, inflections that I might not believe or maybe it's because I've never seen most of the actors in foreign films before so I have no other characters to associate these people to but I thought all these performances were fantastic. It's kind of, feels like a really grown-up movie to me like you watch it and they're talking about, you know, the power of art and all this sort of stuff. It was really, it did hit home a bit for me. I did like it. I've got to say, I felt the last act... After the after Visla is told that he'll be you know doing letters for twenty years, I I felt it was paced poorly uh, mm-hmm. because I did like by itself I liked what I was seeing I like that there's a bigger story being told we get more of a sense of these people's lives as a whole and where their journey ends up versus just a snippet in time. But it, it, I was, I did take issue with the pacing of it. It did start to drag for me at the end, where you've got four years later, two years later, two years later. I was like, when's this fucking movie ending? And I don't think that's a good <laughs> thing if you're watching a film like, Jesus, will this movie end already? Uh, I will also say, like, the scene where she kills herself, whilst it was great, and believe me, I think I've only said positive things throughout this breakdown, it didn't hit me on that emotional level that a lot of films do. So I'm sticking with my four-star review. Very good. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where is the lives of others going to sit on your rankings? All right, for me, I am actually, I was really close to giving it four and a half stars. So I'm just going to look at right at the top of my four-star films. We have leading up to it, Aliens, which I which I prefer this to. Unforgiven, I prefer this to. Fargo, I prefer this to. Then we get to Logan. And even though Logan is definitely more rewatchable, uh, it does have more problems, I think, than the lives of others. So the lives of others will be my new number 36 out of 78. 
Okay. Uh, I'm going to start at the bottom of my four and a half star films. And I'm going to quickly search up a couple here. It's better than Logan. It's better than It's a Wonderful Life, as well as Casino and Stand By Me. And this is where I'm having trouble here. I've got my next three here. Uh, I've got Alien, The Shining, and Hamilton. And I feel like it's going to fall somewhere in this position. And I'm just trying to think where. And I think it's going to fall at the bottom of this tier. So I'm going to put The Lives of Others as my new number 39 out of 78. So very similar to me. Yeah. All right, before we continue, we just like to say the show is brought to you by our awesome patrons who've been supporting the show for over two years now, Dean. And I think I, I feel like I haven't praised them enough every week by saying how just absolutely fantastic they are. Hey, Dean. Nah, you're absolutely right, Hendo. Or absolutely, as I like to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just want to give a shout out to Elise for joining up for uh, being a new patron. Welcome, Elise. Glad to have you on board. Yes, welcome, Elise. Hope you enjoy all the rewards and benefits you've got out there now. We do have our patron-only podcast that we put out every week, including different film series, such as the X-Men series, for example. That was a, a big, long series we did a little while ago. We also do director series, and we also do patron-requested reviews. And this week, it is a patron-requested review, and it comes to us from our awesome patron, Heifer. And he has gone with Black Hawk Down. Ah, yes. Black Hawk Down. The war film that I I think I saw. Keen to get think, into it, though. Think. You think you saw? I mean, I think I it. did. I don't remember it, though. Yeah, I don't remember it either, so pretty keen to get into that. So if you'd like to support the show that way, we have several different tier levels from as little as a dollar a month. Just head over to patreon.com slash the movie journey. As well as that, we were also doing a little guest spot this week with Sam Hurley over at the Movie Reviews and 20 Qs, Dean, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We had a pretty serious and stern conversation with Sam, as we usually do, Hendo. Yes, uh, very stern conversation, talking about the, uh, the positivity over Catwoman. Yes, the renowned drama that is Catwoman. It uh no, it sparked a lot of joy for me. It was a it was a fun time as always with Sam. So check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Check that one out. We'll leave a link in the show notes. All right, mate. Let's get to. We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is, and this oh. could be it. Oh. Where we have our awesome patrons leave some reviews for the films that we break down. All right, first one here from Nerd Revert. This was my first time seeing this film, and it now needs to be added to my favourites of 2006. Short and sweet review, the rear window of audience surveillance films, four and a half stars. All right. High praise there from Nerdrovert for a first time watch. Yeah, I mean, having just watched it, I'm not surprised, Tendo. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for that review there, Nerdrovert. But of course, we always have. In audio form now. All right, here we go. I don't know much about the background of this movie other than it is critically acclaimed and is now in the top 100 on IMDb. I can see the film picking up a few awards. It's a true story about a historic event. We're in Germany today and apparently this is way after World War II and there's some fascist regime running the place. Now, we've all seen Holocaust films some of which are on a grander scale, others from an alternate point of view. Everyone who survived that stuff probably had a book to write, and no tale is exactly the same. But as I've already mentioned, this isn't about the Holocaust. This what is about a lesser, about? <laughs> yet still ominous presence in the German government in the 1980s. It's told from the point of view of one of the government enforcers oh, who is also an indoctrinated <laughs> and highly skilled interrogator. The film begins with him being Let's all plot, Christoph Waltz, before kind of casually <laughs> having a change of heart. 
Thus, the film documents his gradual hesitation to hand offending citizens into the authorities, and by the end, he's actively working against his own organisation. The film is mildly compelling. The performances are on point. There's enough happening in the story to mostly keep interest. I was never fully into the movie, though. I think maybe because of how horrific World War II was, I'm sort of desensitised from the tribulations of this film, which by comparison seem fairly tame. I don't consider this film to be that exceptional or deserving of its high status on IMDb. It's way too long and it's very slow throughout. I still (laughs) like the movie. It's a good movie, but it's just sort of going into that Oscar bait territory for me where I sort of, you know, write it off. Of course, you know, everyone's aunt and uncle has got to keep busy on Saturday night, so um, I guess this one's for them. Three stars. (laughs) Okay, I've got to ask. Why did did Shane talk about the Holocaust so much? I I don't know. Like, you can't say... I didn't think of that at all. Like, I mean, you wouldn't say, right, here's this this drama, you know, about, let's say, Americans living, you know, suburban life, and you go, well, yeah, it's fine, but, you know, there's this holocaust that happened and it's not, it's not as important as that. So I really couldn't get into it. Like, yes, yes, it's not as bad as the holocaust, but you can still have gripping stories that are important to tell that aren't the holocaust that need to be told, Shane. <laughs> That's how you compare all drama films. Is it as bad as the holocaust? Is it holocaust level? Yes or no? No. Three stars. <laughs> <laughs> nah, thanks, Shane. Keep them coming. Thanks, mate. All right, mate, let's get to... Answer my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked our Facebook listener discussion group and our patrons, what is your favourite film or films of 2006? We also, at the same time, asked them what was their worst film of 2006 for a little bit of discussion there. Let's stay on Brother Shane for a second. Uh, He says, the worst film was Little Man. Horrifically unfunny. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I will not, unless you decide to be a prick. I mean, it's no Fifty Shades of Black, I'm sure. Oh, I don't know. I feel like it could be worse. Drew Hallam at the Real Feels podcast says, Worst, we've got to go with Little Man. Boom. There we go. There's another one for Little Man. Chris Bitzel says his favourites are The Departed, The Prestige, Casino Royale, The Fountain and Inside Man. Have you seen The Fountain, Hendo? Yes, I have. It's okay. I started watching it and turned it off. It was not okay. Really? Yeah. It's really bored me. Uh, least favourite, My Super Ex-Girlfriend. See, I didn't mind that film. That was very watchable. Much better than The Fountain. <laughs> ah, trash The Fountain loves My Super Ex-Girlfriend. At least you can sit through My Super Ex-Girlfriend. <laughs> when, when did you try and watch The Fountain? Uh, I don't know. Probably the year it came out. 2006? Yeah, maybe give it another go now. How old was I? 19? 18? Are you asking me that question? Okay, I think I was 18. Uh, yeah, maybe I had better things to do. Probably not, though. Let's be honest. Patron David Power says, Easy, the prestige for the win, with runners-up, Casino Royale and Children of Men. Julio at the Contrarian Podcast is torn between Children of Men and Pan's Labyrinth for favourite. I think I'm going to go with Quaron this time, but ask me tomorrow and I could go with Del Toro. So that's a shout-out for Children of Men there. Uh, worst movie is easy, Basic Instinct 2. David Powell came back with his worst one here. He said he hasn't seen Little Man as he avoids anything with the weigh-ins as a basic rule. So for worst, I'll go with Da Vinci Code. Hanks tried, but the source material was steaming garbage, so they were doomed from the start. 
I haven't seen any of those uh, Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code books. Have you seen any of that trilogy, quadrilogy, whatever the hell, however many movies they made of those films? Maybe it was, was it two? Da Vinci Code. Yeah, and uh, Angels and Demons. I saw Da Vinci Code, yeah. That was fine. All right. Uh, Luke James Human says, although 2006 gave us some of the finest cinematic works of the 21st century in Monster House, Silent Hill, and Lady in the Water, for me, nothing tops the batshit crazy brilliance of Richard Kelly's masterpiece, Southland Tales. Hmm. Is this a gag? I think it is. After looking, <laughs> I saw no bad films in 2006, unless you count Nacho Libre, which I turned off after 20 minutes. Maybe the remaining 70 minutes were great, so it's technically unfair to call it the worst. I mean, there's no way Luke Luke says this, right? <laughs> I don't know. That sounded like a gag at the start, but then he actually went serious with the worst film, so maybe he was talking the truth at the start. Lady in the Water as a finest cinematic work of the 21st century. Nah, he's, he's having us on. Come on, spill the beans, Luke. Let us know. We're a bit confused here. Michael O'Neill says, The best, in my opinion, is Letters from Iwo Jima. That is a Clint Eastwood film I have not seen. Yeah, me neither. Uh, Hayden Gerloff says, The best is The Departed and the worst is Scary Movie 4. Yeah, fair enough. I can agree with that. Rob Stewart says the best is Pan's Labyrinth and the worst is Hostel. Fuck, I hate Hostel so much. Hey, I like Hostel. That was good. Oh, nah, Hostel's terrible. You seen any nah. any of the rest of them? No, nah, I don't want to see more of that. One was bad <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, lastly, on Patreon here from Nerdrovert, favourites, The Prestige, which is his favourite of the year, The Departed, The Pursuit of Happiness... Haven't heard that one shouted out. Casino Royale, Little Miss Sunshine, Lucky Number Slevin. Have you seen that? I have not. I've seen that. Have you? Yeah, I've seen it. I'm pretty sure it was called something else, though. Uh, Alpha Dog, Monster House, Children of Men, and Daywatch. What's Daywatch? I think Daywatch was like this, uh, it was especially like this Russian, like hardcore vampire trilogy thing they had going on. I don't know if they ever got to do the rest of them. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it performed very well. But I think I remember seeing it. But I can't remember anything about it. Yeah, he's also he's also thrown out a heap of bad movies. I'm just gonna pull out the Pink Panther, which was fantastic. One of the funniest <laughs> movies I've ever seen in the cinema. Laughed my ass off. But he said because of the potential that was there for the taking and was ultimately just botched in every way possible. I'm gonna have to say the worst is the Black Dahlia. I don't think I've heard of that film. Definitely heard of it. Haven't seen it, though. All right. All right. Awesome patron Heffer has said the best is The Departed and the worst is Idiocracy. Have you seen Idiocracy? Yeah, I saw Idiocracy. It was fine. Yeah, I did not see that. Scott Murphy says the best is United 93 and the worst is Date Movie. Yep, I can I can agree. Any of those movies that, you know, are the, the parody movies, I can easily see at the worst list. And our last one here from Sam Hurley at the Movie Reviews and 20 Qs podcast, Pan's Labyrinth and Basic Instinct 2. I'm sure you can work out which is which, I hope. You would hope so. Thank you very much, everyone, for putting in a response there. But, Dean, let's get to our top five films of 2006. And as usual, we kick it off with you. What is your number five? I've got to say, The Lives of Others was very close. Probably my number what? six. It is, that is my number six. Wow, good year then. Mm. Jesus. Uh, okay, my number five. Now, this is a film that I may have dropped out of the list because my rating seems really high. But you know what? We did it like maybe a year ago and I gave it this rating, so I'm going to stick with it. Number five, Mission Impossible 3. All right. Okay. What about you, Hendo? I don't don't have any problems with that. My number five, we're going Quaron with Children of Men. Yeah, definitely overrated. Uh, My number four is Little Children. 
I think you got me to watch that a couple of years ago, and yeah, yeah I thought I, it was pretty good. Yeah, you weren't raving about it. No, I thought it was fine. Number four. I know you're going to rave about this one. Let's get some Del Toro going. We've got Pan's Labyrinth. Nice, nice. Uh, number three, Casino Royale. Ah, very good. My number three. I know you think this one's overrated. We're going Nolan. We're going The Prestige. No. Oh, yeah. Didn't come close to my list, Tendo. Uh, my number two is where I had Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, okay. My number two. It's time for some Scorsese. We're going The Departed. Wow, really? Yes, really. Okay. All right. My number one, The Departed, without a doubt. And, of course, my number one is Casino Royale. That's pathetic. Why is it pathetic? Yeah, what, you have it at number three. Casino Royale is not better than The Departed. Uh, it clearly is. I just said it was. Oh, then it must be fact. All right. That's our top five. But now it's time for... DVD Challenge. accepted. For our little mini draft here on 2006 Films. All right, Dean, it was your turn to go first here. What was the film you chose? Now, I really, really thought about this long and hard. And I, I, I even said to Hendo, I was like, gee, I really wish I got the two and three spot. Because I was certain. So I, I took The Departed. Okay. I thought that would have, I think that was the clear number one choice. Okay. Uh, yeah. And if it was at me, I would have gone The Departed too. But I think the two and three spot, like, that was so tough. Because there was yeah. like four choices I could have gone with. Very tough. I thought, I thought for sure you were going to take. Children of Men and The Prestige. Uh, instead, I took the other two. I picked Pan's Labyrinth and Casino Royale. Yeah, which I was pretty shocked. I was pretty shocked. Uh, and then I had the, the the internal discussion of what the fuck do I do? Nolan let me down a lot last week when I took The Dark Knight and Inception. So I thought, fuck it. Sorry, Prestige. I'm going to put on Twitter favorite Children of Men. All right. And my God, this poll was fascinating, I must say. It was fantastic. I think there were certain points where the total of each of ours equaled 50% for a very long stretch of time. Uh, But after 415 votes in the end, one of our biggest polls we've ever had, The Departed took the top spot with 31%. Pan's Labyrinth came second with 24%. And Casino Royale came third with 23%. And Children of Men, 22%. Which means Dean took it just with a 53% win here. So well done, buddy. Well done. Nice. Well deserved. Yes, very close. I was pretty happy with that overall. Uh, so that puts you ahead two to one with the first person getting three wins here, getting the chance to pick another movie for the other person to watch. And that being said, we still have a movie to watch that we did say we'd, we'd clean out before this happened. So I do have to get to Cats and you do have to watch Chunking Express. Uh, don't know if it'll happen within the next week, but I'll get to it soon. We shall see. So what's next? All right, Dean, we're heading into the Christmas period here. Now, we have got a couple of, well, I have got a couple of things going on at the moment. I'm actually moving house at this point, so this will be the last time we have uh, recording in the the studio here, the third studio, the, the longest running studio we had here. Uh, lots of memories in this studio, Dean. Not that you haven't been here for a very long time, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was there a few times. No, we <laughs> did we did we did a hell of a lot of episodes together in that in that house that you're in now, so yeah. Sad to yeah. see it go. Yeah, so considering it's a quite a busy period as well, uh, heading into Christmas, work-wise, moving house, we're going to be releasing for next week our patron breakdown episode of Seven. Yes, this is true. We did do this. I don't know how not long ago long, it not was. Not too long ago. No, it wasn't too long ago. Wasn't it? Uh, a couple of months ago. Okay. Yeah. So that's the episode you guys are going to be getting. So until then, thank you very much for checking out the episode, and we will see you next week for Seven. Bye. Bye.